Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 250. We often talk about Royal Caribbean cruises in the scope of a fantastic family vacation, but going on a Royal Caribbean cruise is just as enjoyable, if not more so, when you travel alone. Taking a solo Royal Caribbean cruise is a kind of experience that should not be shied away from, and this week, we're going to be talking all about going alone and how to take advantage of this sort of experience. Here we go. Have you ever taken a Royal Caribbean cruise alone? For some people, that very question might sound silly, but nevertheless, going solo on a Royal Caribbean cruise is neither silly nor crazy. In fact, I'm here to tell you, I'm not the only one that has done it in the past, and believe it or not, there are lots of cruisers who, frankly, prefer and enjoy booking Royal Caribbean cruises to enjoy themselves. Why, you may ask? Well, I'm going to tell you. Well, ironically enough, I'm going to bring a friend onto this episode to help me share about why going alone on a Royal Caribbean cruise can be a fantastic idea. And when it comes to talk about solo cruising, there's a whole other universe out there, a whole other frontier, and I had to seek out an equal power to the task to cover this subject. I found a man who was equal to the task of talking about enjoying a cruise alone, seeing it all, and coming back for more in-between work PTO blackout periods. I want to welcome back my friend, and maybe yours, Royal Caribbean blog writer, bandana trailblazer, and custom Sorrento's pizza creator, Michael Big Ship Guy Pool. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Matt. I'm excited to uh, talk solo cruising. I am uh, back from post-cruise, or I'm back rested, and the post-cruise depression has started. It is real, Matt. That's right. I, and appropriately enough, Michael just got back uh, not too long ago from a solo cruise aboard Adventure of the Seas. And, you know, this is the perfect opportunity to talk about taking a cruise alone. And I think, Michael, we probably got to start with the idea of why would you want to take a cruise by yourself? This is something I think maybe if you've never thought about it before, as I said earlier, kind of might sound a little silly, might sound a little strange. But let's talk about why it's not strange. Well, I think the most common reason, at least with the solo cruisers that I have met, They've had some type of like lifestyle change where perhaps they were cruising with like loved ones and and situations have changed or, you know, whatever may happen. But the passion of the cruising is there and they don't want that to die off. You know, they don't want to just stop doing what they're passionate about just because something in, in their lifestyle has changed. So more often than not, most of the solo cruisers I've encountered, it's kind of that's the path that has led them to experiencing cruising solo, Matt. Yeah, I think it's really it's a matter of necessity is what it sounds like you're saying, Michael. Right. And, you know, you could you could do a different type of vacation. But when you've cruised and that's all you really know and love and care about, it's like, why stop doing that just because something has changed? You know, you just got to take a leap and, and go out there and give it a shot. I remember the first solo cruise I took was because actually my wife was pregnant at the time and could not go on the cruise ship legally. They don't allow you after a certain point. And so it became a necessity (laughs) on my part anyway (laughs) that I need to go on the cruise ship. And that's how it's kind of born almost. And I think to your point, Michael, for a lot of folks that may be – that may come in different forms like you know perhaps finding somebody to go with on a cruise that you want to go on that particular sailing doesn't work out, you know, whether it's friends or family that just no one can really sync up with your schedule. Perhaps there is a itinerary or a cruise ship that you're interested in, no one, your friends and family aren't interested in, you know, or like you said, maybe something's changed personally, time off of work. There's a lot of reasons why you may be forced, quote unquote, into cruising by yourself. But I think the reality is, is it's not this 
uh, trip like you know in a in a vacuum of 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 uh, interactions with other human beings. I think a lot of people say might think ordinarily like my parents they're always like going alone that seems so sad and it's like no it's actually really the opposite of it it's a very liberating experience to go by yourself oh i know i love telling people for like the first time like well who are you going with i'm going alone and they're just giving me the look like what <laughs> like of course now i'm used to it but even like you know co-workers and they're like oh you're traveling alone and i'm like Yes is is like I'm fine with it. Like I'm totally okay with that. Yeah, the the great thing about traveling alone is, you know, you have the opportunity to do what you want to do when you want to do it, and it's it's allows you to do exactly just that. I mean, there's no compromising in your plans. It's really just what you're interested in doing. And that's why it is kind of liberating. And I, I know Michael, I've run into the same situations where you tell people like your parents that you're going on a cruise by yourself and they're like well, it's nice that we have other children that we can we can talk to other people about rather than you. But it's you know it's it's weird to them. But you know if you've done it before, I think you can probably agree. You're probably nodding along with everything that we're saying here. But if it's new, if it's a new idea to you, certainly it can be a little bit of a different kind of experience. But it's not a negative one. And I think actually cruising solo opens up so many more opportunities, regardless of how much of a social butterfly you are or not. Uh, I think that in today's day and age, there's so many opportunities to really enjoy and take advantage of the solo cruising. What drove you, Michael, to start solo cruising? Well, my first one was way back in uh, 2012 on Monarch of the Seas, which that ship is retired now. But I was a college student at the time or just finishing up. And, you know, my friends just really didn't have the money to go. And, you know, I was, you know, starting out on my career. I had some PTO time and, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do this alone. And right before the cruise, you know, me, I just, I added another leg. So I did a back to back solo. And I'll be honest, Matt, I was a bit overwhelmed and a little nervous going into it because there's a lot of uncertainties because you don't know what to expect going into it. And, and you're used to sharing day one with someone. And, and I was like, well, what am I going to do all day? So it, you know, it was a little overwhelming and we'll kind of dive into that. But, but 2012 was my first one. Wow, interesting. I'm glad you – it's a perfect segue because we're going to talk about what are the differences, what to expect when you're cruising alone. Let's talk about, even before you get on board the ship, Michael, booking a cruise by yourself and the nuances of that. You know, One of the things you're going to uh, – there's going to be a phrase, a two-word phrase you're going to run across pretty quickly when you're researching your first solo cruise. Uh, they both start with the letter uh, S, and it is, of course, the single supplement <laughs> – <laughs> that is something that you're going to notice pretty quickly when you look at it because going solo, you might think, oh, well, I'm only I'm the only person going. Surely I'm going to be paying for myself and only for myself. But there's a little bit of a hiccup there. We're going to talk about the ways around it. I know some of you already know the answer to this. But so let's talk about the single supplement, Michael, and how it kind of relates to booking. Oh, man, it's like a love-hate with the single supplement. Um, years ago, they used to run you know, 150, 175, but those are very few and far between. I don't see those type of deals anymore. And you know, I've kind of just adapted to when I'm searching for prices, I just search for one, and that's just the price. So for me now that I've done it so many times, that's just the price of the cruise. So I'm kind of over the fact of that I'm paying for two. But I do recall early in the solo days just being in culture shock like wait a minute I'm, I'm paying for two passengers but uh it is what it is um you know and and we can talk about some ways to kind of help with that single supplement matt sure 
And, and yeah. I think it's, it's worth mentioning, of course, single supplement basically means you're going to pay a 200% fee on top of the cruise fare. So it'll price you out whatever the per person rate is. But the cruise industry builds itself around this idea of double occupancy. So by virtue of the fact that you're cruising by yourself, you're not, there's not two people in the room. And again, the, the cruise industry is built on this, this idea, this model of double occupancy. So if you cruise by yourself in a regular room, then you're going to get hit with a single supplement fee 99% of the time. And that means you're basically paying for another person, even though they're not there. And uh, as Michael alluded to, sometimes it can be a little bit less than 200%, maybe 150, 175. But in my experience these days, it is 200%. Now, before you start yelling at your phone right now, what? That's crazy. Good news. There is a, there is a silver lining to the single supplement. And uh, it actually allows you a little bit of leeway in Royal Caribbean's Crown and Anchor Society. And that is that by booking a room by yourself and paying the, that single supplement fee, you actually get double Crown and Anchor Society points for a regular room. So instead of getting, you know, on a seven-night cruise, instead of getting seven points, you'll actually get 14 points. If you book a suite by yourself, you know, then you're a junior suite or above, you're then going to actually get triple Crown and Anchor Society points. And the, obviously the advantage of this is if you're sort of on the lower end of the spectrum of Crown and Anchor Society, Brandon, and you want to move up in the world, then you have the opportunity to, uh, to, to really level up, if you will, a whole lot faster. And this is how at least I sell it to my wife anyway, that look, honey, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for us. We get to move up to Diamond Plus faster if I book more solo cruises and, you know, that's how it kind of works. So. Yeah, it stinks. And like you said, Michael, I think you just have to kind of accept it is the price is the price is the price and don't worry about the about that single seven fee because there's literally nothing you can do about it. Right. And I've just come to adapt to it. It is what it is. But you mentioned that going up faster up the tiers, and believe it or not, it's very common. Um I've met so many people who are who are, you know, three or four points away from being the next tier for their big cruise and one of the spouses just go alone for a weekend just for the double points to, you know, push them into diamond for the free cocktails for their long cruise. So you'd be surprised on on how many people do that just to kind of jump up a tier. Absolutely. Now there are Rogerman does have actually solo rooms. These are rooms that have been added in the last couple of years. Uh, they're they I mean for a while I mean really cruise ships did not offer uh, rooms for single travelers, but that started to change a little bit. And I say a little bit because there's only about a little less, maybe around a dozen ships that actually offer this. But these are studio rooms. There are studio interior rooms, studio ocean view rooms. Actually, even some of the newer ships offer studio balcony rooms, so a room with a balcony intended for one person. Now, obviously, in these rooms, you don't pay the single supplement fee, but on the flip side, obviously, you're not going to get double crown and anchor society points because you're only paying for one person. Now, these rooms are really few and far between. Like on Brilliance of the Seas, there's exactly three of them. <laughs> Adventure has five. Anthem uh, has 14 interior, 12 ocean view balcony rooms. So, you know, there's it's not like there's an overflowing amount. They tend to sell out really quickly. And sometimes, Michael, I know you are the king of actually <laughs> finding. Sometimes it's actually cheaper or a better deal to book a regular room than a studio room as it just turns out the way that the math of Royal Caribbean's booking model works. Yes, especially on Harmony of the Seas. There's there's um, 17 solo insides and three ocean views on Harmony. And 99% of the time, the regular inside is cheaper than the the solo cabin. I, you know, I can't figure out the math. I keep trying math, but that's not, that's not always the case. I think you'll find sure. some good deals on Anthem and some of the other ships for the solo. But 
you just have to price it out and see what's the better price and if the points are worth it to you or not. That's a really good point. So there you go. So you book the cruise. You booked it by yourself. And uh, one other thing also I should mention, I've done this before. A little Here's a little trick for you. I remember I was going on Harmony of the Seas when she first arrived in North America. There was a quick three-night sailing. Every, I've talked about this on the blog, on this podcast and on realcommonblog.com already. But uh, long story short was it wouldn't let me book one person in the room. Sometimes the booking engine requires two people in the room. But I, was, I knew I was going by myself on this sailing. It was just a quick one just to get in. In the name of research, I had to get over there. So – uh, but the, all the solo rooms were gone. But if you put in on the website two people, you know, like you stipulated two people in there, then it lets you book it. So actually what I ended up doing was putting my – I think I put my daughter's name on the manifest, but she never showed up to the cruise. And that's okay too. It still counts as a solo cruise. A little bit of a trick if you're trying to play the how do I get the right room for me game. It, as long as you pay for the people that are supposed to be in there, they don't really care who shows up or doesn't show up for that matter. So a little bit of a trick when you're looking for – solo rooms as well because sometimes if you put in one person on Royal Caribbean's website you get one set of results but if you put two people in the room then you get obviously a different set of results something to consider as you kind of go through that uh, booking process no uh, I'm gl- I was gonna say I'm glad you brought that up because that's very common with the guarantee cabins so the guarantee cabins on the website aren't usually set up for solo passengers. So you'll see a great, especially on a, a last-minute deal, like two, mon- two months out, the going, going, gone rates. They're, they're not scheduled on the website or programmed to show for one passenger, but they're there for two. Um, so you know, a travel agent can call in and they can special fare for you, or you can do maths trick and book two people, and then they'll refund you the taxes on the person that doesn't show up. So you're, Absolutely. Not, paying, you're not paying any extra no matter how you do it. And Michael's referring to the guaranteed staterooms where basically you don't pick a room as in like you don't pick a room number. You just get a guaranteed room. A Royal Caribbean says, okay, we're going to get you a balcony room. But we'll tell you which one it is later. Basically, that allows Royal Caribbean a little more leeway in terms of being able to assign you a room and advertise lower rates to other people in the meantime. And then later on, they guarantee you that room category or higher. So you're not – you know, you book a balcony, you're not going to get an inside room as an example. Uh, you, you're guaranteed to be at that level. But again, the actual room number Royal Caribbean will assign instead of you picking it. The advantage also is that it saves you a little bit of money in that regard rather than picking a specific room. So definitely a, a good strategy there as well as when you're looking at kind of those deals. Um, let's talk about actually on board the ship, Michael. Let's talk about something you are you talked about at the beginning of this episode, which is – who do you talk to? <laughs> Are you? How does it change when you're on board? The nuances of being alone on a cruise ship. I think day one is kind of overwhelming, especially if it's your very first solo cruise, because mm-hmm. you go and you step on board and you see everybody excited, taking photos together, taking photos of the group, and you're just kind of like there. And to me, that was the hardest little speed bump on my first solo cruise. I was like, well, what do I do? Um, yeah. But but there's still a lot to do. I mean, you know, you can go settle in your cabin. You can go lay by the pool. Um, and nowadays with social media, there's usually, you know, like on the Royal Caribbean blog, message boards. There's groups. Um, there's Facebook groups you can usually search for. There's all kinds of online kind of like prep. And, and usually most sailings have some type of meetup um, if there's a lot of people on the social platform and, and you can schedule a meetup and meet other people on board. But I think um, – one of the ways that I've kind of overcome the day one is just like, I'll just go sit down at a bar and grab a Stella and just talk to somebody beside me and kind of get that fear behind me and just 
talk to somebody like if I, if it wasn't a solo cruiser, and and that kind of helps me day one kind of get over that. Yeah, striking up a conversation is a really good idea because, like you said, I think the natural tendency when you're in, when you're with other people anywhere, whether it's the supermarket or on a cruise ship, is you you want to like you know just talk about the experiences you just had. Like, wow, isn't this ship cool? Whoa, look at that thing over there, right? And but when you're by yourself, there's no one to do that. You're literally talking to yourself. So a lot of that is that's like you said on day one, it can be a little bit of a different experience, maybe even a little jarring, but. You get used to it very quickly. And to your point, Michael, if you're interested, there's wonderful opportunities. Actually, one of the easiest ways to start working on your conversational skills with random strangers are crew members. Because crew members are literally paid to talk to you anyway. So they're there to be nice to you. And whether that's in the form of a bartender or perhaps a your, your stateroom attendant or somebody at guest services. I mean, basically... These crew members work here. They got they're not going anywhere. So they may as you may as well strike up a conversation. And in my experience, Michael, there's some really friendly crew members who uh, if you give them the opportunity to talk, you can really get a sense to not only just pass time but also get to know these folks and, you know, share experiences and hear their thoughts on things, maybe even learn some secrets about places you're going and things they like doing on board the ship and 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 those kinds of ideas. That's a really good point. So I mean, I think you hit it right on because sometimes solo passengers, they don't feel comfortable maybe talking to the person beside them at the bar, even though they could be a couple inches from them. The bar's packed. By talking to the bartender, they're hearing the conversation. And the next thing you know, you're all kind of in a conversation together and right. you're, you're talking with total strangers and you're making new friends as a solo passenger. Um, so that, that's, a, that's a great tip. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, and you also mentioned uh, the meeting of people on the internet, and I think the internet has transformed how you solo cruise because back in the day, it was literally like you know you like you said earlier, you go to a bar and hopefully you strike up a conversation with a nice person, and who knows, right? But and that can still work, but being able to meet people, and I use the air quotes, online before your cruise is a great strategy because then you go into the sailing with you know some some. Folks that you may run into later on in the sailing that you may, who knows, maybe you'll become best friends or you just have a drink together one time and it helps pass some time one evening. Regardless, it's a great way to not only get excited for your cruise, not only plan your cruise, but set yourself up quite nicely to, you know, enjoy uh, some time on board. And I, and I tell people, look, you're under no obligation to hang out with them the entire cruise. It's not like these are, you know, your, your mail order brides that you have to be stuck with or anything like that. This is an opportunity just to get together. I mean, you're already excited about your common cruise. You obviously like Royal Caribbean. You know, just talk about your shore excursions, and that's a good half an hour of conversation probably right off the bat. And as a solo cruiser, I found it really helpful to maybe have some friendly faces around that when you're walking around, or even better, you're going about to go see a show, it's nice to be able to maybe see somebody that you had a nice conversation with and, you know, enjoy some time together. I agree, and... um I've actually set up the bar talking to a stranger, and next thing I know, 30, 40 minutes later, they drag me to dinner with them. So I'm like, oh, okay. Now I'm not <laughs> saying that's always going to happen, but if I didn't you know, turn and just speak to them and say hello, I never would have had a, a great meal with total strangers I just met 30 minutes ago. And now they're like best friends of mine. So it just sometimes it just the cards fold and it works out. Absolutely. Now, of course, Michael and I are total geeks, all right? And I, I know that a lot of you thought, well, these guys sound really, you know, cool, and we are, but we are total geeks, and, you know, obviously, we, we like to share our experience online, and despite all that, I think, honestly, if you're sailing by yourself, 
part of it is that humble brag of sharing, you know, the experience with, with friends and family back home. And social media is wonderful for this because even though you're separated physically from your friends and family back home, using the internet can be a great tool when you're traveling by yourself because you can, you know, you can share as much or as little of the cruise experience as you like, whether it's sharing photos of you having a great time, some of the amazing places you're going to, the shows you're seeing. I mean, you know, posting these images on Instagram, on Facebook, on the Royal Caribbean blog message boards, on, you know, a variety of other great places online. You know, I really think as a solo cruiser helps pass that time, especially when you're just kind of, you know, sitting around, you're at the pool, right? It's a beautiful pool day. You're enjoying your time and, you know, you're maybe you're rocking out to the music they're playing there. And it's great to be able to check in. And to me, that kind of a connection helps bridge the otherwise uh, gulf of, of non-communication you may have, again, outside of the things we already talked about. And I find it really helpful being a solo cruiser and being able to leverage social media in that way. Oh, I agree. And I think everyone at home can tell if I'm solo or not, because when I'm solo, I'm posting food pictures, I'm commenting, <laughs> interacting with people. And then when I'm not, it's like, where's Michael? Where, where's all the, the photos? <laughs> but I think you're right. And I've, you know, I've even posted photos on like Facebook groups and people are like, I'm on that sailing too. I was like, okay, let's meet up. And, yep. you know, you know, you're meeting friends on the internet, but at the same time, they're on the cruise ship. So, you know, everything's okay. You know, you're meeting them at a lounge on board and, and it's just another outlet to interact with people, and you'd be surprised on people jumping in that are on your sailing too. And uh, it sure is fun bragging at home when I'm on a cruise ship and Matt's working. I love that part. <sighs> God, <laughs> that last week was brutal, dude. I'm just saying this is like the worst it's ever been. Michael is king at making me feel like why I'm like the only person at school, and everyone else is on the cruise ship having a good time. So kudos to you for your uh, your gift that you have, sir. I think my favorite comment of the week was I said, come to the champagne bar. And you said, I'm on my way. I was like, oh, I know he's dying. I know he's dying. Uh, now, when you're on board the ship, uh, you may find that, you know what, you are kind of interested in meeting other people, but it's hard to do it. I mean, you know, we're not like you're an adventure ocean and, you know, you're kind of stuck in group activities. So one of the ways there are some tricks, I think, that I've found to becoming part of the of the group, if you will, on board the ship because a lot of people that are on board are looking for social opportunities. You know, they're, they're on vacation. They're having a good time. Why wouldn't you want to talk to other people who are in the same state of mind? And, and I think that actually on a Royal Caribbean cruise, Michael, there are a lot of activities that lend themselves towards this weather. And it's good for varying degrees of social uh, butterflyness or not. Right. I mean, here's a really easy one. Like the trivia that they offer in a lot of the bars, usually every day there's a couple different trivia sessions, a variety of topics. It does not matter what this trivia is about because one of the great things is it forces you to get into a group. Uh, the, the person who's in there, the crew member who organizes it, will tell you you need to be in groups, in teams from two to I think up to six people. And it's really nice. I found this just walk around. You walk in there. Find someone who's sitting around and say, hey, is it okay if I join your team? Because honestly, more heads is better, right? It only increases your chances of winning by sharing it. And you never know. Maybe this will be a person that you just help, you know, a team with and, and you're on your way. Or perhaps, like Michael said, you know, you'll strike by a nice conversation. And before you know it, they're giving you bottles of champagne at the Crown and Anchor Society reception. You never know. That is a true story. And, you know, that's a good point. You can go to the Crown and Anchor event. And sit with some members that are sitting Ooh. there. I've, I've never run into a scenario where I'd be like, hey, can I sit down? And they're like, no, you can't. Yeah. So 
don't have that fear. I mean, I know the first time there's going to be a little wall set up, but you have to you have to just step out of the bubble because the last thing you want to do is is cruise the whole time and just not kind of come out of that bubble and you're like, "Well, that was like one of uh, that was a bad cruise." So yeah. you kind of have to take that leap and just let the cards kind of just play out. The other thing is that if you really want to be Mr. Popular on board the cruise, uh, you can start off buy some people drinks at a bar. Then they'll really be your friends there. That's a really easy way to make friends. Another easy way, if you really want to be Mr. Popular or have people come up and talk to you, is start participating in some of the contests on board, like the Sexiest Leg Competition, the Belly Flop Competition, the Quest. These are easy ways that if win or lose, they're going to recognize you before you recognize them, and that's going to lead to other people starting the conversation with you. So again, this all depends on how much of a social butterfly you are, but... These are great strategies for getting to meet people on there. And who knows? Maybe you'll make new friends. That'll be your best friends that you'll cruise with, you know, for many, many months and years to come. You never know. But, you know, there are opportunities for you. And Royal Caribbean's events and activities are, I think, one of the best ways to do it beyond just, you know, hanging out at the bar, which isn't a bad strategy either. Just keep in mind there are opportunities to meet other people as well. I actually did the sexy man on my very first solo cruise, Matt, and I kind of had my walls up if I'm being completely transparent. I was like, I don't think I'm going to do this. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I I don't know anybody on board. I'll never see them again. So I got up there and did it. I think I got a medal for placing in something. And the rest of the cruise, I was like Mr. Popular. Everybody was like, oh, you're the guy in sexy man. You're the guy. And it made me feel kind of good, you know, like that, that people around came up and now talked to me. Versus me going out and having to talk to them. I will pay $100 for anybody who has a copy of the video of that Sexiest Man competition with Michael in it. Just saying. Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. I don't need to know your name. I just have the video. I'll send the money. However you want it. Just saying. I'll pay you 200 not to send it. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that's good. So uh, the other things are, how about taking advantage of cruising solo, Michael? Because, you know, when you're by yourself, you know, we talked about it a little earlier, is your, it's your opportunity to do what you want when you want to do it. And one of the things I really like about di- uh, going by yourself is you have opportunities to kind of expand and try new things. And also it means that the price point is a lot cheaper to do those kinds of things. Because if you're there with, you know, uh, someone else or a family, right, well, any activity you do, You've got to pay for all those people typically, right? Whether we're talking about shore excursions, uh, massages, especially dining. You know, look, that's just the nature of the beast. But when you're by yourself, this may be actually a really good opportunity for you to try new things and, and work in some new opportunities. You know, one of the things I would tell people is when they're going by themselves, you got to – you have to really treat yourself, right? you got to pay it forward to yourself and enjoy maybe something you never did before, never thought about doing before, whether that's uh, booking a massage at the spa, trying out that – that shore excursion that you were always eyeing before, but you know, your spouse or your friend or your, your cousin doesn't want to do it because they're too afraid. And you know, this is a great opportunity to get out there and do those things that you want to do. I agree. Uh, The excursions, like there's, that's actually another, you know, Avenue to meet people like going out to do a catamaran for the day. You're only paying the one cover charge, you know, 50, 60, 70 bucks. But you're spending all day on this excursion and you're going to be surrounded by people and they're going to just naturally engage you. Sometimes you're sitting on a bus and you're going to be sitting beside somebody and, you know, you're going to spike up a conversation. So doing activities is a great avenue for for meeting new people solo. And, you know, you're only paying for yourself. So what better is that than that? 
Absolutely. And like you said, they're group excursions that Royal Caribbean runs, so it's not like you have to really change anything up uh, when you're talking about a shore excursion than you would if you were traveling with family or friends. So it's a really good opportunity. And again, you know, maybe you have a uh, chance to try something different. I like that as well. Uh, let's also talk about dining alone, because I think that's mm. honestly a, a point of contention that a lot of people have. It's like, well, anybody can drink at the bar alone. Anybody can hang out at the pool alone. But what happens when you want to eat? Is it weird to go to especially restaurant by yourself? No, it's not. Um, but I I think my first time cruising solo, Matt, I was a little uncomfortable with it because I didn't know what to expect. But now, you know, you know, many cruises, solo cruises later, I do solo dining all the time. Like, you know, like some most some every cruise, every single night. But so I think, you know, go in there. Um, they're going to sit you at a table for two usually. And some of the tables like at Chops and Giovanni's, if you've been, they're like, they're kind of close to another table. So more often than not, the other people at the table are going to spike a conversation with you. They're probably going to ask like why you're alone or something, but don't think of it as like a bad thing. Think of it as a way to start a conversation. Like I've spent hours talking to people at the specialty dining that are sitting right beside me and have a really great time. And they kind of just take you in in a way. Absolutely. I think it's a great strategy. Don't avoid specialty dining. Don't avoid the main dining room. In fact, the main dining room is one of going to be your best friends because you can actually be seated with other people if you so choose uh, there. And that's an opportunity to obviously meet friends, uh, maybe new friends, or just have a conversation and not feel like you're dining alone. In the specialty restaurants, that option doesn't exist. But like you just said, Michael, it's not like it's a – you're not sitting at a table with a spotlight on you in the middle of a rather large room and like everyone's looking at you. It's not the case at all. It's really inviting. I feel like the the waiters in the specialty restaurants are very accommodating, very understanding. Uh, there's certainly some restaurants that are actually good for going solo. Izumi is one of the best because regardless of the ship you're on, Izumi, the Japanese cuisine restaurant, usually has a sushi bar you can sit at, which is perfect for dining alone. If you're on one of the Oasis-class ships or some of the – like a ship like Independence of the Seas that now has a bocce option – this is like perfect for eating alone because it's a group dining experience anyway, and it's really easy to get in a one spot and one of those tables. So I, I really feel like even though you're eating alone, uh, that shouldn't be an issue and you shouldn't look at it like, oh, gosh, that's going to be too embarrassing or weird. It is a natural reaction to have, but that doesn't mean you should avoid it. In fact, you should seek it out because dining alone is not a bad thing. It should really be embraced, like you said, Michael. And there's some really good options there. But if you're saying, you know what, this sounds great, guys. I'm not really up to that point yet. The good news is there are some other very viable alternatives. Certainly the Winjamer, Cafe Promenade, uh, you know, Park Cafe. These are great places for their, the self-serve slash buffet options that are quite abundant. In which case, you honestly never have to eat uh, with other people there. And you should always feel free to bring your food back even to your room if you want to or some other public space on board the ship. That's right, and I was gonna throw out a tip with the wind jammer. Um, that the my I learned this the hard way. I got up to get seconds, and I came back, and there was people at my table, and I was like, "Oh, because they clear the table because they don't see anybody else's <laughs> stuff there." I'm like, "Yeah, that's okay. a good point." <laughs> so if you're gonna go in there, try to either a get you know a you know load up like plan that this is it, or b um, sometimes I leave little you know items behind on the table like a towel or a bag like not very important valuables but i try to leave something on the table to let the waiters know that that i am coming back um but you know that's just one of those things that i kind of learned along the ways because 
you know, the Windjammer's packed on day one and I come back and there's someone at my table. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so just take that little tip if you go in there. I hadn't even thought about that. That's a really good point. <laughs> you know, if you don't leave something behind or somebody behind, they can be very easy to uh, to do that. But I think you're right. If you bring, a, if you leave a bag, usually some personal item that you know obviously isn't uh, expensive, that's probably a, a good strategy for uh, avoiding that kind of thing. But it's definitely something to think about. I think as you cruise solo, you know, a lot of it has the opportunity to, um, you know, to, you're gonna. There's some learning experiences there. But once you figure it all out, it's not too too tough. And, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, Michael, when we kind of wrap up this conversation about cruising solo, it really, at the end of the day, it's really about traveling at your pace and kind of doing it what you want to do. You want to sleep in one day because maybe you spent a little too much time at the schooner bar the night before. You know, you can do that. You want to wake up at 5 a.m. and and do a live video broadcast of Sunrise in in uh, in Cozumel. You can do that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of nice to be as flexible as you like. And not having to worry about you know impacting somebody else that you're cruising with, or you know, be you want to be considerate, obviously, if you're there with with, with a friend or, or a family member. But you know, it's it's kind of um, like I said earlier, it's 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 liberating because you get to do what you want when you want to do it. Matt, were you describing me just then? I would never just <laughs> use you in my mind as a classic exhibit A of what to do. No, I agree. Um, so cruising with someone is obviously special, and but. I find that you're you're kind of doing things together, which is great. But you know, if a spouse is like, "I need another thirty minutes to get ready," you're kind of just hanging out, you're waiting, which is fine. But when you're solo, you get ready and I go. Like I'm not in my room at all. Like you're not waiting. You just do what you want when you want. You can get up when you want. Um, you know, I, I love both styles. But man, going solo and just kind of taking advantage of whatever you want to do. When you want to do it is is just a really great way to uh, vacation. Awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining me here to talk about solo cruising, a topic that Michael is an absolute expert on because the man has done it way more times than I can even dream of doing it, although it is my new goal. You know, I might say, well, Michael does it this way, and my wife usually rolls her eyes at that. But uh, nonetheless, that is still a uh, – you're, you're a shining example for the rest of us, Michael, of, wow, we can cruise that that often if we go by ourselves? Huh. Double points. Once again, it is time to dive into the Royal Caribbean Blog inbox, answer your emails all about taking a Royal Caribbean cruise. And of course, you can always send me your emails by emailing Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Our first email this week is from Hayden from Birmingham, Alabama. Friends, first off, love the show. It gets me through the downtime between cruises. I have an upcoming cruise with my wife and nearly two-year-old daughter on Freedom of the Seas. Unfortunately, I broke my leg and required surgery just five weeks before embarkation. I'm being told that I will more than likely be non-weight-bearing for about six weeks. I do have one of the knee scooters to get around, but we don't have a handicap room, which I don't know that we necessarily need. And I just want to get your opinion on how we should proceed and of any special things we should do if we continue on with our trip. We'll be driving to Fort Lauderdale, and we do have travel insurance, so canceling and rebooking is an option if you think that would be the best course of action. However... I am a tax accountant and looking forward to a week off to spend time with my wife and daughter after the deadline. Thanks for all your advice and your wealth of knowledge. Hayden, that's a really good question. And first and foremost, you should obviously talk to your doctor about making sure that going on a cruise is not going to be detrimental to the recovery of your leg. I mean, first and foremost, that's the most important thing. I don't think that'll be the case. I think they'll probably just tell you the usual stuff, you know, obviously go easy on it and don't, you know, 
don't go uh, jet skiing or doing some sort of excursion that's really going to be, you know, uh, a pain for it. I can tell you that I think you'll be okay. You know, having a handicap accessible room is, I think, more of an issue if you're in a wheelchair than if you've got, a obviously, a bum leg or a bum knee in this situation. And I think you'll be fine in the room that you have. I think getting around will be a little more challenging. You'll have to do elevators, obviously, a little more. You'll have to be more dependent on that. And certainly being bringing that little, um, what do you call it in the email, the leg... Can't find it. The scooter, that's what it was. You know, I, you wouldn't be the first person to bring that on a cruise. It'll be fine. You know, I, the only thing I could tell you is that, you know, some people might look at this and say, you know, would I enjoy this cruise a whole lot more if we delayed it a, a month or two and went on it when you're recovered and they can fully enjoy these things? I don't know what, you, what you're like, Hayden. Perhaps you like jumping off cliffs and going jet skiing and doing those kind of activities that, you know, are, are physical in nature and thus, you know, going on a sailing like this where you're going to be. You're not going to be able to do those kinds of things would be a disappointment to you. I don't know. Personally, a cruise is better than no cruise, and I'd rather do both than pick one or the other. So I, there's no reason why you can't go on the sailing or enjoy the sailing from a, from a large standpoint. Uh, I don't think your room is a problem. I think you can have a really good time regardless of the situation of your leg and how dependent you are on the scooter. But obviously, if you have your heart set on certain type of excursions or activities... You know, if you're on the um, you're on Freedom of the Seas, it's not like you have the zip line or something like that. But you know, if you really wanted to do a flow rider, obviously that's not going to happen now. But you know, it, it really boils down, I think, to that. And if you're saying no, you just want to enjoy the cruise with your wife and daughter, then I think that'll absolutely be possible, and I don't think you'll have any problems with that at all. So, Hayden, thank you for the email, and I should probably remind everybody I am not a qualified medical professional. I just play one on this podcast. Next email from Mindy Panzer, who writes, Love your podcast. I'm going in December 2018 on Mariner of the Seas of the Bahamas. I've always gone on Disney cruises, so I'm truly hoping Royal Caribbean measures up. Yes, slight Disney snob, but tired of paying a lot of money. My question is, normally I just stay on the ship at NASA. Usually me and my daughter, just not the safest place. On this cruise, I would like to do a beach day in NASA. What excursion beach day would you recommend? Mindy, thank you for the email, and I'm so glad you're trying out Royal Caribbean as a former Disney Cruise Line passenger as well. I can tell you that the grass is far greener here, and it'll cost you less green to get over here. In terms of your answering your, your question, the best place I can recommend, and I've taken both my children there, it's a really nice spot, is going to be the British Colonial Hilton. You can get a day pass over there, Mindy. Uh, you, I get it through a website called resortforaday.com, and you can reserve it that way. I'll post a link in our show notes at royalcreamblog.com to an article I wrote a review of this said resort. It's really nice, not that expensive, easy to get to. You can walk to it. You don't need to take a taxi. In fact, I would say it's a waste of money to take a taxi. It's that close. And it's a wonderful spot uh, for, for you and your child because there's beach access and, most importantly with kids, there's a pool. And lunch is included and you get a drink stipend. It's pretty good. Uh, and I think that's going to fit the bill for what you're looking to do. It's far less ex- less expensive than Atlantis. Atlantis is a beautiful spot to go to, by the way. It's just very expensive. But if you're if you're used to Disney prices and this is still going to save you a lot of money compared to that, hey, Atlantis is hard to beat because it is just a. It's almost like the Disney World of Nassau and just you know it's just heads and shoulders above. But I really think the British Colonial Hilton is a great beach spot. Again, it has the pool, it has the beach. It's fairly large space. I, my kids enjoyed it quite a bit. I think you will as well, uh, Mindy. So that's my recommendation uh, for what to do over there. 
Let's move on to our next email, and it is from Chad from Appleton, Wisconsin. Writes, first off, thanks for such a great podcast. I listened to you back on the WDW Today podcast, and glad you've stumbled. I was glad I have stumbled upon your Royal Caribbean blog and podcast. Just completed our Oasis of the Seas cruise that we embarked on this past March. This marks our third cruise overall: one on Disney on the Disney Wonder, one on Royal Caribbean's Liberty of the Seas in December 2016, and now Oasis of the Seas. I just want to share a few observations in the story in case you wanted to share with the rest of the audience. Quick note on Disney compared to Royal Caribbean: completely agree with your general opinion. Disney is awesome, period. However, to say that their prices justify that much of a premium over Royal Caribbean is hard to justify for us. There are a few touches that are classic Disney. However, we have taken two cruises and just barely comes up to what we paid for our comparable Disney cruise. Anyhow, on both of our Royal Caribbean cruises, we opted for My Time Dining as we like the flexibility, as well as the option to free up room in the main dining room if we wanted to opt for another venue. On Liberty, My Time Dining was awesome. Either the night before or the early morning thereof, we would make our reservations for the main dining room and we were set. On the Oasis, not so much, surprisingly. We would head to the staff to make our reservation and before they even asked for our party size, the immediate canned line was 8, 8.30 or 9 o'clock. Never had anything earlier, even after confirming. We were a little caught off guard that given our experience on Liberty. Don't get me wrong, we never starved or anything. We often just missed shows we had already had reservations for if we could only eat at those times. Thankfully, the Winjamer never failed to feed our group and enjoyed great service there too. On Liberty, we opted for the inside cabin with the view over the promenade. We discovered that these were definitely balcony, they, we discovered that we are definitely balcony people. As for us, it was a little too confined. On Oasis, we got a room on deck 12 towards the back with a boardwalk view and loved it. We were right above Johnny Rockets and had a great view of the Aqua Theater and the screens for the movies. I would gladly book that type of room again, plus the included soda package and Johnny Rockets were great perks. We played this cruise very loose in that we had no excursion planned, just walked around and took things in. St. Martin was beautiful. Uh, we found a great little bar on the water, five for $10 beer buckets, and rediscovered my love for Red Stripe beer. San Juan was an eye-opener, colorful shops, and lots of history. However, we landed on garbage pickup day as the dumpsters and trashes trucks were out, so making it made walking tour a little bit more of a tearjerker. On fi- our final stop was Labadee, and that was a learning experience for me. When we arrived, we checked in, and all the covered beds were booked, and there was no last-minute cancellations. So we just did... So all we decided to do was wander about the beach. We were immediately met by a staff member who heard we could not get a bed like my wife was interested in. However, he was amazing in helping us to find a spot to relax for the day. He pulled a couple of nice chairs off the stack, cleaned them up, and put us next to a few tall palm trees to shelter us and gave us a landmark to find our spot again later. We were not expecting that and we're very grateful. After a bite at the barbecue, note, forget the burgers, go for the grilled chicken and the ribs, amazing. We decided to head up to the shops in the building behind where we ate. This is when the learning experience kicked in. We had seen the onboard TV show from the cruise director about what to expect. People are, are, are on hard times and anything helps. However, I had a bit of a bad experience. While my wife and sister-in-law were shopping, a vendor grabbed my attention as he wanted me to see his area where he had items set up. Since they were shopping, I decided I would at least take a look. My mistake. The vendor ended up slipping a braided beaded bracelet on my hand so fast I didn't even realize what was what he had done. I told him I didn't have any money. This was the truth. I left him all my cash on the ship. When I tried to remove the bracelet, he became a little belligerent and condescending. My wife saw me by this time, and I come over, not sure if I'm right or wrong, but I ended up giving him a few bucks that my wife had for the bracelet just to get out of the situation. After that, my wife 
my view of the port, sorry, changed and I'm ready to leave. We ended up quickly checking out of Dragon's Breath spot and then went uh, back to the ship because I didn't want to be there anymore. I usually can deal with vendors and my heart goes out to them after the storms, but this did change my view of the vendors. Next time I'll stay away from the shops, keep my hands on myself and learn to say no firmly from now on. This did not affect our overall vacation experience satisfaction, though. It was a little relaxing and fun, and we booked our next cruise while on board for Anthem of the Seas in March, as I really want to see all the tech items it has, and my wife really wants to visit New York and New Jersey. We took all this as a learning experience, from what to do and not to do at ports, to going to traditional time dining uh, this next time, so we knew that the main dining room would be accessible to us no matter what. Overall, we love the Wastes of the Seas. This is a monster of a ship, and we'll be back someday. For now, on to Anthem and Emerald Status after our stay in the junior suite there. Thanks again for all you do and keep up the great work. Chad, I'm so glad I shared all this because this is some really good information to share. I'm sure there's a lot of folks who can pick parts of this that are really helpful for them. I'm going to talk about, obviously, your experience in Labadee. There's no question that's not a cool thing to happen. Personally, I don't know the last time I've been to the markets. There's two marketplaces in Labadee. Uh, there's like the... Uh, there's a enclosed marketplace, which is essentially like a... Um, uh, it's a building you walk into, and it's kind of like an open-air shopping area. And then there is, like, a marketplace a little behind that, and that's, like, shacks, and, you know, people have set up little shops over there, and it's kind of you walk around over there. I don't... I, I remember, I don't know the last time I've been over there. Your experience uh, in terms of aggressive sales behavior is not unheard of. In fact, I'm not surprised to hear it. Let's put it that way. And my advice... I hate to say it, because Chad nailed it. You know, your heart goes out to these people who, you know, are, are unfortunately... the. People in Haiti are very poor. Uh, it's not getting any better anytime soon for them. You know, the <laughs> hurricanes ravaging their country isn't certainly not helping anything. So you want to help. But, you know, being accosted in this kind of a way is not a cool thing to do. And I hate to say you should avoid it, but you should avoid it. I, I don't know of a better way to do it. I mean, I think there's a lot of good charity work that, that's out there. And I think your money is far better than buying some trinket from a vendor. I, I think that's going to be the better way to support the people if that's your concern. Uh, but, you know, because of these kind of sales tactics, which, look, the, the thing I always tell people is, unfortunately, it must work. They don't they wouldn't do it if it didn't work. Right. If it didn't make money. And that's what I mean by work. Not that it's a good idea. But, you know, if it didn't make money for them, I can't imagine it, they would do it. And thus, that's why they probably do it. Because people, you know, go there and, you know, you get a hard sell and people buy it. I don't know, maybe out of maybe out of, uh, you know, pity or, or whatever. I don't know. But anyway, uh, my advice is if you haven't been there yet, I don't recommend it. I, I think experiences like Chad's are a little over the top, but I still think that, you know, it's a little, it, there's a lot of, you know, hey, come over here, come over here. And you really have to be quite firm with, you know, no thank you. And you can't even look back for the response. You know, usually in, in polite conversation, you know, Chad, would you like to come to my shop? And Chad would respond, uh, no thank you. And then I would say, oh, that's okay. You know, you're welcome or whatever. You know, I'll see you around. But if you look back to them or you, you wait for the response, that's usually they just keep on going at you on that. So, like, in, I do this in almost any port I visit. You know, they'll say something. I say, no, you know, no, thank you. And I just, you, it seems rude to just keep on walking or not even look at them. But it's the only recourse that really does work. And um, anyway, I hate to say it that way. But, Chad, I'm glad you shared the, some interesting information there. Uh, and I appreciate the email. Thank you. Our next email comes to us from Murph, who writes... Hey, Matt, I'll be joining you for the March 2019 Royal Green Blog group cruise on Mariner of the Seas. And to the shameless plug here, I have a question about Mariner. Does she have or will she have the Coca-Cola freestyle machine similar to the Freedom Class and up? And Murph, uh, it does not. And as far as I know, I don't see any plans for it to be the case. They may change their mind. I have no idea. 
I haven't heard anything, but certainly doesn't have it up to this point. Of course, Mariner of the Seas is going to be undergoing a massive refurbishment this month in May. And when she reemerges in June, she may have him on there. But as it stands right now, as far as I know, Murph and I reserve the right that this information will change by June. But uh, no, that's not the case. Uh, and by the way, if you're wondering how, if you have your drink package and your soda car or soda cups, how does that work? You can just bring your soda cup to any bartender lounge. They'll be able to fill it up for you as well. You just don't get the vast selection of drinks that the Coca-Cola freestyle machines offer. Our next email is from Ashley Downing of Allen, Texas. I met two months ago. I booked what will be my first ever cruise on Mariner of the Seas for four nights to the Bahamas in early February 2019. The itinerary lists a one-day stop at Coco Cay, which our group is excited about, but... Now I wonder about how the construction and renovations on the island impact our day there. What are your thoughts? Should I take a chance on planning excursions despite construction happening? Or cancel the trip and rebook another cruise to avoid Coco Cay? Thanks for all you do with your fantastic website and podcast. So actually, I can only advise you what Royal Caribbean has said, which is that the construction progress is supposed to be done in phases. It is not supposed to impact the guest experience on there in the sense of... You're not going to get over there and, like, <laughs> sit at the beach that's surrounded by construction walls, theoretically. Uh, they've said up and down that the experience during the construction should be quite minimal. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I could have sworn they had said that they wouldn't be doing even work when guests are in Coco Cay. So I, think it's, I think you'll still have a good time over there, Ashley. I would still plan. I would still go with your plans, quite honestly. Uh, I, I'm not sure that that would be a reason to cancel. Understand that I, the only thing you should really understand is that obviously some of the things that they've announced, like the water park and whatnot, may not actually be available quite yet. But you know, it's going to be something that you can uh, certainly still enjoy a wonderful beach day. Next up, we have an email from Robert, who writes, Hey, Matt, I just want to share an incredible documentary on Netflix. The show is called Mega Foods. What's so interesting about the show is that it features Royal Caribbean's Oasis of the Seas on a seven-night Eastern Caribbean cruise. What's fascinating is it shows what it takes to feed 6,000 passengers and its staff during the entire cruise. Netflix bases the show primarily from the inventory officer and executive chef. This show is incredible and certainly worth watching. Wow, just wanted to share. P.S. You will never look at Lobster Night the same way after watching this show. Thank you, Robert, for the recommendation. I'm sure maybe some folks out there maybe weren't aware that's an option if you have Netflix and want a little Royal Caribbean fix. I love watching those documentaries about Royal Caribbean in general. That It's a great means of, like I said, getting a fix, getting a little, uh, little bit of a virtual Royal Caribbean trip. And a lot of these shows, in my opinion, though, do tend to go a little bit over the top for my taste in over-dramatizing some of the challenges they encounter. The worst one, I think, was uh, the Quantum of the Seas document, like the megaships are building of, of Quantum of the Seas, and they really, I, I think I got about three quarters through, and I just had to turn it off because it was just like, okay, it's not the the critical emergency thing that they're trying to make it out to be, but... That being said, it is nice to be able to get a little Royal Caribbean fix. And to Robert's point, a lot of this, there is some interesting factoids and, and information you can you can find in these things about how these ships work. Because, you know, for a lot of folks, after you go on a couple of Royal Caribbean cruises or cruises in general, I think you kind of start to get a sense of, you know, how does it, how does this all work? How does they, how do they, how do they make the sauce? You know, how does this all function so well? And it's, it's not a, it's not a, you know, a chance. They don't just wing it. There is very much a science to how Royal Caribbean operates cruise ships, and they have to get it down to a science, because if they don't, you know, you run into problems, and it's just incredible. So, 
Robert, thank you for the recommendation there. For all our friends on Netflix, I'm sure they'll be able to check it out. Next, we have an email from Laura. Where I time at, I love your very informative podcast. I am scheduled to go on Harmony of the Seas this December. I'm looking at purchasing the arcade credit in advance. I'm wondering if you can tell me how much the games or skee-ball costs per game, so I can try to figure out how much they buy. There's a 20% discount for purchasing in advance. Also, courtesy of Cruise Critic, a uh, roll call feature for our cruise, we learned about a buy one, get one specialty dining offer. It's limited to the first and second nights of the cruise, but it was only $40 to experience two specialty restaurants. Instead, each of the two restaurants we want to are cost $49. This was quite the bargain. Just thought I'd share. All right, so let's answer both those points there, Laura. Thank you for the email. First of all, uh, I don't know the exact cost of the games. The exact game cost varies from ship to ship, and they change it every so often. Most games cost a couple dollars these days. It's not what it used to be, Laura, where it was 50 cents for a game or something like that. A lot, Especially if the game doles out prizes, which all the kids want to play with. You know, the ones that, you know, the crane games or the ticket ones. I mean, it's just... You're going to be paying two to three dollars a pop per game in a lot of those cases. Some of the older games, maybe a little less, but it, yeah, it can. Your twenty bucks is going to go pretty quickly. Let's put it that way. Uh, but figure every game is in the ballpark of one to two dollars per game. Again, depends on the game you pick, and certainly there are some games that are a little more expensive than that. Uh, it just depends on if they do a lot of prize or not, or how new it is, and all those kinds of things. Um, so. But that 20% discount is nice. You can get that, by the way, by going to the Cruise Planner on Royal Caribbean's website and pre-purchasing your arcade credit. So that way it's pre-loaded on there as opposed to just going to the arcade and swiping your CPAS card on board the ship. And if you know you've got kids who want to go do this, it's just going to save you money. Now, your other point was about the uh, the BOGO package, the dining package. And you're absolutely right, Laura. Really, it's a great deal. Uh, the BOGO package is, uh, like Laura said, precisely. You have to go there on night one and night two. You don't get to pick the restaurant until you get on board the ship. But once you're there, you make your reservations, and you get to eat at both the restaurants for 40 bucks, which is saving a lot of money. It can save you a lot of money, I should say. And the only catch is there are two catches. One, you have to go on night one and night two. And two, you have to uh, wait to get on board the ship to actually make the reservation. If you're okay with both those scenarios, which I think most people are, it's totally fine. If you're wondering about, well, am I going to be locked out of my favorite restaurant if I go on night one or night two? Or, you know, or wait till we're born on the ship, rather. I would tell you, no, probably not. You may not get the exact time. Maybe you're, you know, unless you have your heart set on, like, you know, 6.30, night one, or it's a disappointment, you know, that might be a problem. But if you're flexible, if it's, you know, you're not really have your heart set on, you know, a particular time, you're, you've got an hour window, give or take, that you're okay with, which I think most people fall into, that kind of category, then you'll be fine. It'll be great. Also, of course, there are, we should mention one other thing, as I just thought about it. The BOGO offer, which is true of all specialty dining packages, is not compatible with all restaurants. There are a few exceptions, like you can't go to the hibachi, if your ship has hibachi on it. You can't go to the chef's table, you can't use it there. Um, so, read the fine print before you book it, but the specialty dining packages are the way, in general, whether you're talking about the BOGO, the three-night, the four-night, the five-night, the ultimate dining package... It is the way to do the dining, especially dining on board the ship, because it just saves you so much money compared to paying full price. You know, uh, it's just, it's a night and day difference. Oftentimes, it comes down to, you know, 40, 50% off uh, what the uh, regular price would be. So, Laura, you're, you're on a, you got a good strategy there. I like it. All right, let's go to our next email. It is from... Jason, who writes, Hi Matt, just found us reading your blog about a month ago. What a wealth of information. 
We just booked our first ever cruise on Navigator this season in March of 2019, a nine-night Southern Caribbean cruise. To say we are excited would be an understatement. My wife and I are going with my cousin and his wife, also their first cruise. We booked a spacious balcony room, and they booked a junior suite. My question is, what is all included with the junior suite that we don't get with the balcony room? I know that junior suite doesn't get all the perks of a railroad suite, but the info is hard to find. And then, what if any of those perks will, be, will we be able to join them on as we're traveling together, like party embarkation, cabanas, etc.? I've been enjoying listening to your podcast the last several days, and I've got a bunch to catch up on. Thanks for everything. Good questions, Jason. So, a junior suite, despite the name suite, is not really a suite. It's more like just a extra large balcony room. And I think that's a really important distinction to make. Being in a junior suite, this is what you get that's different from a balcony. You get, obviously, a larger room in terms of square footage and a larger balcony in terms of square footage. You get a walk-in closet. You'll get a bathtub in your bathroom you'll get upgraded bathroom amenities like instead of getting the dispenser on the wall of your bath of your shower you'll have little actually i think the dispenser is still there but you're going to get little um you know little bottles of shampoo and whatnot in your room you are going to get priority embarkation disembarkation if you're on an oasis class ship or a quantum class ship you'll have dinner access to coastal kitchen only so not breakfast or lunch but just dinner and you obviously also get double crown and anchor Royal Caribbean points. So that is a nice perk as well. Other than that, that is basically it. You don't get concierge access. So you don't get access to the concierge lounge or the concierge themselves. You don't get the free drinks every evening for being a sweet guest. And um, I don't even remember if you get access to the sweet area, the sweet area of Labadee, uh, which of course is Barefoot Beach. Because I don't think you qualify for it. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. Um, so it's really, again, a lecture large balcony with some nice amenities to it. What can you as a balcony guest take advantage of uh, other than swiping their shampoo stuff? Not much. Uh, they're not going to let you go on embarkation together. It's usually not. You can ask. Uh, you could, you know, there's ways around it, but technically speaking, you're not supposed to be over there as a non-sweet guest. Um, so I'm not sure that's going to really help you with priority or embarkation. Um, and pretty much everything else you're kind of limited to is a non-sweet guest. They kind of really do draw a line there. But again, there's not that many perks that you can really take advantage of, to be honest with you, Jason, as a non-junior sweet guest. So probably not the answer you were looking for, but I feel like that's just the most likely scenario. Um, it's just, it is what it is, unfortunately. I'll post a link in our show notes at royalcreamblog.com, Jason, to a good overview of Junior Suites, what they, what it is, what it encompasses, what it gives you, what it doesn't give you, and hopefully that'll give you a good overview of what to expect. What's nice about a Junior Suite is, well, why would you book a Junior Suite? Well, it's cheaper than a regular suite, but you get a lot more room. For two people, having a Junior Suite is an enormous amount of space. It's really nice. Uh, you get the double crown and anchor points. The bathroom alone, for some people, is worth it. The walk-in closet... Uh, also is, is a nice amenity to have as well. It's like everything in life. You know, a little bit extra room makes a big difference. And, and sometimes it's like, you know, maybe just going on. Think of it more like uh, being on an airplane and upgrading to those seats that have extra leg space. You might say, well, who cares if you have an extra foot of leg space? Well, when you're sitting there, it's pretty nice. I got to tell you, especially if you just sat in economy on the way back. Right. It's it makes a big difference uh, mentally. So, you know, for the right price difference. I can totally see that being the case, Jason. So uh, I'll tell you something, though. It's nice to have. And, hey, when your uh, friends or your traveling companions you're going with, it's a nice place to go hang out with because they're going to have extra space in there to enjoy. So there you go. All right, time for one more email. One more email. It is from 
Uh, who's this email from? Gary, who writes, last year we went on Navigator of the Seas. This is our first Royal Caribbean cruise after five cruises on the Disney Magic. Listen to your podcast with interest, so here is my own view. Our children are all over 21 years old, so cannot comment on kids' activities. Food, both okay, but Royal Caribbean was better. Service, better on Disney, but still okay on Royal Caribbean. Room sizes, Disney wins by a large margin. I preferred the split bathrooms on the Magic. Everything was very cramped on the Navigator. Entertainment, both ships were okay. Cinema was fantastic on Disney, non-existent on Royal Caribbean, unless you want to try and watch it by the pool. Adult areas, better on Disney. Generally, stuff to do, more variety on Royal Caribbean. People are generally nicer on Disney. On Royal Caribbean, there were groups of teenagers causing trouble, something you should see on Disney. As for rebooking, I would not rule out Royal Caribbean or Disney. The itinerary and price are more important. Gary, thank you for the uh, comments there. I think I would agree with some of your points, disagree with others. I think I agree with about the food. I think the level of service is the same virtually. I, I know Disney has this whole reputation for having amazing service, and it's it well-deserved, but I, they don't spit on you on Royal Caribbean either. <laughs> they do a really good job, and I am I think it's very, very good. Um, so, uh, what, you know, we'll agree to disagree on that one. Room size, look, the split bathroom is nice. Basically, on Disney, you get a split bathroom, which means if someone's going to use the toilet, it frees up the sink area, which is nice. I'm not going to deny that. It's just a nice thing to have. I don't know that that's a big deal, quite honestly, in the grand scheme of things. And, again, the amount of money you're saving on your stateroom on Royal Caribbean, well, you could probably afford something a whole lot nicer anyway. Um, and, you know, there's that. Entertainment, oh, I think Royal Caribbean is far better than Disney. Disney has the same shows they show all the time. And Royal Caribbean has more uh, Broadway-style shows. There's a ton of live music on board. They do. A, I mean, it depends obviously on the ship we're talking about here. You went on the Navigator. This is with the ice skating show. You know the the live music all over the ship. The shows in the main theater. I think they're phenomenal. I think they're much better than Disney offers. You know, obviously Disney shows are Disney shows. They they have more of a plot to them um, than Royal shows typically do. Not uh, of course not counting the, the Broadway shows, but. I'll take the Royal Caribbean shows any day of the week. I think they're they're certainly on par, if not superior, to Disney shows. And you know, obviously, the Disney shows also assume that you have interest in seeing the Disney, like Disney movie shows, right? Like you want to have Mickey Mouse and uh, the various films adaptations of it uh, are of interest to you. Some people don't, but just put that out there. Um, the, the movies, being able to watch a movie, frankly, don't care. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I think watching a movie on board any cruise ship from Disney or Royal Caribbean is a very low priority. I got there's so many things going on. It's like one of the last things I want to do is go watch a movie. The only exception, there have been two times in which I have watched movies uh, on board a ship. One was when I was seasick or no, I'm seasick. I'm sorry, dehydrated. I was nauseous. I remember that part uh, when I was dehydrated and I felt nauseous and I watched all of. Terminator Genesis on board a Royal Caribbean ship once, and the other time was I think we had really bad weather and there was nothing else to do and we just I decided to watch a movie. So other than that, don't care. Movies are having a dedicated cinema is vastly overrated because there's so much going on um, and people being nicer. Eh, you know that's luck of the draw. Jerks come in all forms and fashion from all over and go on all cruise lines. I don't let that stop you, and it certainly doesn't bother me. And I don't know that I've ever... I've had wonderful people in general on all my Royal Caribbean cruises. You know, like I said, jerks can happen anywhere. It's not a thing that I, I really worry about. But, Gary, I do appreciate, by the way, you sending this thing. It's a really good discussion. I know we've actually... You're like the third person just in this episode. We've talked about Disney versus Royal Caribbean. And I take a certain uh, bit of pride 
in the Disney versus Royal Caribbean comparison as a former Disney Cruise Line fan, as someone who's come over and seen the light, as it were, uh, with Royal Caribbean, I, I kind of feel like um, that I just can't understand the appeal of Disney, quite honestly. Especially, I mean, I can understand the appeal. I can't understand the justification for Disney, given the huge price gap and, quite frankly, very similar experiences on there. So, But, Gary, thank you for the email. I hope you'll continue to do Royal Caribbean. And, Gary, I would welcome each and every one of your emails and thoughts about your experience on there. And I'd also welcome all of your experiences as well. So if you have a uh, something you want to talk about here on the podcast, maybe you want to tell me I'm wrong or you want to share your recent cruise experience, maybe you have a question about your upcoming cruise, I would love to answer it here. Send me an email, Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Matt, M-E-T-T, M-A-T-T, can't even say my own name, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.